Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. Today on Broadway Drumming 101 is Elena Bonomo. She's a graduate of Berklee College of Music where she holds a bachelor's degree in performance. She's toured all across the United States as the drummer for the first national tour of the hit Broadway musical, Waitress. She held the drum chairs for two off-Broadway shows, The Hello Girls and A Strange Loop. Elena has performed throughout the Caribbean, South America, Australia, New Zealand, and Europe while working as a band leader for Holland America Cruise Lines. And today, Elena is the drummer for Broadway's newest hit musical, Six. She's a proud endorser of Yamaha drums, Sabian cymbals, Remo drumheads, and Vic Firth drumsticks. Ladies and gentlemen, Elena Bonomo. Welcome to Broadway Drumming 101. My guest today is Elena Bonomo. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So you are now the drummer for the hit Broadway musical Six, which I've seen bits and pieces of. I haven't seen the whole thing yet, but it looks like so much fun. I'm going to just start. How did you get involved in that show? Um, well, yeah, Six is a super fun show. I absolutely have a blast playing it every night. And um, I first became involved when we did the show in Cambridge at uh, ART. And that was in the summer of 2019. Um, I think we did about a two-month run there at ART. And then... What is, a- what is ART? Oh, sorry. It's the American Repertory Theater, um, part of Harvard University in Cambridge. Um, they have a lot of shows that do pre-Broadway or you know early regional runs there. Um, like Waitress actually started at ART. Um, there's a new musical called 1776, like a revival of the show that's going to be starting there. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a cool theater where they do, you know, pre-Broadway runs. So we did about two months there in Cambridge, and then we did another five weeks in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, that was around the holidays in 2019. Uh, then we had a little break and then we came to Broadway in early January 2020. <laughs> and then we all know what happened after that. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But you, yeah. you were going to open on March 11th? We were going to open on the 12th, March 12th, yeah. 2020. Yep. And that's the day that everything shut down. Damn. I think I remember hearing about that later. And I'm like, man, it's like not a good feeling when you're like so amped to go and you're like, oh, no, you guys aren't coming in at all. Yeah, that was intense. We found out about three hours before our opening night. Like, we were supposed to have maybe a six o'clock or six thirty show because it's always like a little earlier on openings. And we found out at about three o'clock. Oh no! It was it was crazy. Yeah, I was getting ready for the show. I was getting my makeup done, and my parents were on their way to the city to meet me. And I was like, ah, it looks like it might not happen. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. Like, you know, everyone's sending emails and texting each other at the same time. And finally, uh, Governor Cuomo made the call that you know all the shows were going to shut down that night. And yeah, it was really intense. All right, let's talk about some good stuff. But you, good stuff. You said- <laughs> <laughs> Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Now we're gonna we're gonna get to that area in a minute. But you were born where? Where were you? Where are you originally from? Um, I'm originally from Westchester, New York. 
Oh, really? Yeah, just about an hour north of the city. I grew up in Cortland Manor, which is a small town between Croton and Peekskill off the Hudson Line train. Yes. And um, yeah, I was pretty much there my whole life until I went to college. And what was your first musical memory? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> first musical memory? Uh, maybe, yeah, it's probably my, my grandma, uh, my grandma Jean. She plays the piano. And um, she had a beautiful upright piano in her uh, basement in her house in New Jersey. And as a kid, we, you know, me and my family would go there and grandma would just always play stuff on the piano. Like after we'd eat dinner or, you know, we'd have a little like hangout time and she would just play some songs downstairs. And I just thought it was so cool. I was just so drawn to just to music in general. And I always wanted to sit next to her and I always asked her if she could teach me how to play some things. So I think that's probably like the very first time I was really drawn to music. What was the thing that brought you to drums? So um, I have an uncle and a cousin in my family who both play drums and similar stories. They had their drums set up in their houses and whenever we went over for the holidays or just to visit, I just ask if I could go downstairs and play them. And I just thought, I don't know why, I just thought the drums were so cool and so much more fun than the piano <laughs> at the time. Mm. So I was just drawn to it. I was like, oh, this looks so fun. Can I please just try it? And, you know, they, they'd teach me how to play a couple little things. And it just always felt like fun to me rather than work. Like, so, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I ended up taking piano lessons. Um, but my parents, like every other kid, you know, my parents always had to force me to practice like, okay, Elena, get your 20 minutes in, come on, go downstairs. And I was like, uh, I don't want to. But then um, eventually I ended up getting a little more serious about the drums and I actually wanted to practice because it didn't feel like work. It just felt like fun. So I think that's even to this day what keeps me drumming. It's just always fun for me. They bought you a drum set? Yes, yes, I got a drum set for Christmas when I was about nine years old. It was like a little more than just a kid's drum set, but it wasn't like, you know, a professional drum set. Um, but it was perfect for little nine-year-old me, and I didn't think I was going to get it. You know, we were like looking through music catalogs and stuff, and they're like, okay, what do you want to ask Santa for this year? Because at the time, you know, I'm a young kid, still writing my Christmas list to Santa, and um, I asked for a drum set and a snowboard actually in the same year <laughs> and so we woke up that christmas morning and there was um a little like cute little snowboard like you know under the tree and i was so excited i thought that was the big present like oh my gosh santa brought me a snowboard this is amazing and then we went downstairs um my family used to set up a little uh, like nativity scene for christmas so christmas morning we put little baby jesus in the manger um, so we went downstairs to go do that, and there was a drum set set up. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and it was just the best surprise. I had absolutely no idea that that was really? happening. Really? No idea. Wow. Yeah. I think they have it on video, too. Like, that would be a really fun thing to dig out, to see my reaction to getting a drum set for the first time. But I, it was just so amazing. I My mind was blown, and I just, like, ran to it and started playing. And really? I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. Did you... Uh play along to music what did you do to practice um so my uncle my uncle joe he's a um drummer percussionist he plays a lot of like you know i think he, yeah he subbed on broadway like 
a while ago and now he um he plays a lot of like regional theaters and stuff um so he helped me with you know some of my first drum lessons he wrote some some lessons for me in this little manuscript book and uh just gave me my my first steps in drumming you know he taught me all the basics all the techniques and um at the time you know as a nine-year-old girl i was obsessed with the backstreet boys (laughs) (laughs) so were they, um, were they were they better than NSYNC to you? I really liked both of them, but I think ultimately I was more of a Backstreet Boys person. <laughs> and um, so, you know, he asked me like, okay, let's try to play along with a song. What do you want to play? And I was like, I just want to play a Backstreet Boys song. <laughs> so he, start, he like hooked up, uh, he put the CD into the little stereo in our basement and blasted it because it's just like a normal like everyday stereo system it's not anything intense and uh i played along to larger than life by the backstreet boys oh wow that's just a nice nice, like simple rock beat and it was perfect it was so much fun and that was like officially the first song that i ever played on the drums so did you did you take drum lessons from from him or did you go to another teacher um, yeah, so ultimately for the first year or so, he he helped me out a little bit. Um, nothing like super regular, but whenever he came over, he'd give me a couple pointers. And I think my parents just wanted to see if, if I was actually into it and if I wanted to really pursue it for real. So then a couple years later, I think I was probably about 11, um, maybe in, yeah, seventh grade. Um, that's when I asked to actually take private lessons because I, I just really loved playing the drums and I wanted to take that seriously. And, and my piano teacher also noticed, you know, cause I was still taking piano lessons at the time. I told her about the drums and about the drum set and how I really want to get into it. So she also pushed my parents to um, sign me up for lessons. Cause she, she saw how passionate I was about it. Um, so we ended up finding a teacher that was recommended by my middle school band teacher. You know, he was a local teacher that taught everyone. And um, I stayed with him for a couple of years, all throughout high school. Whatever happened to the snowboard? The snowboard. I gave that up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that wasn't. Uh, yeah, it wasn't my that, thing. That, <laughs> that thing stayed under the Christmas tree and <laughs> pretty much. Dust. We, we used it in the backyard. It was like a toy snowboard. It wasn't something I could really take, you know, on the mountain. Um, but we did it in the backyard as kids, and it was super fun. Um, but ultimately, I, I ended up skiing a little bit more. <laughs> Oh, wow, my childhood. Really? I wish I could go back to that, but now I'm a little bit too scared. Yeah, I I want to ask you about that because I don't want to ski because I don't want to twist my knee. Yeah, or anything like that. I mean, has that happened to you at all? Luckily, I've I've never been injured while skiing. But you know, I was doing that in high school. I think the last time I went skiing, I was probably like 18 or 19 <laughs> and I, okay. I haven't gone ever since. Cause just now as an adult, especially with a career in drumming, I'm just a little bit too scared that I might hurt myself. Cause I've heard a lot of, a lot of uh, horror stories about people getting injured on the mountains, Ooh. but you know, at the same time, you, do, you don't have to go really fast. You don't have to go on the crazy, crazy hills. So you, you can absolutely do it in a safe way. Um, I don't know. I'm still a little scared. Maybe I'll go back to it at some point. Are you good at it? I used to be. <laughs> really? You were on the diamond uh, slopes? I was doing the diamonds. Yeah. It was um, super fun. We used to go to Vermont every winter. Um, my uncle has um, a house up there. So we used to go to Killington Mountain with my cousins. And that was super fun. But yeah, I just don't really do that anymore. 
it's also hard to find the time to do that. You know, take take a a weekend to drive five hours to Vermont and spend the money and go skiing. You know, I don't even have ski gear anymore, but mm. but I do miss it. I really enjoyed it when I was younger. Did you skateboard at all? No, not at all. <laughs> that was mm. that was too definitely too scary. I used to rollerblade. I really enjoyed okay. rollerblading <laughs> when I was younger, maybe like eight, nine. You don't do it anymore? Not anymore. No. Would you be, want to? It would be an interesting sight to see me on roller skates now on rollerblades. <laughs> <laughs> Could you go backwards and, you know, and do all the dance steps that people do? <laughs> oh, no. No, I wasn't that good. I just liked to go fast. I just wanted to, like, zip down my driveway and <laughs> into our street because I thought it was fun. <laughs> so you were taking lessons in junior high and then you went to high school mm-hmm. and you play in any musicals back then? Yeah. So when I was in middle school, so I was in seventh grade, um, I actually played for my very first musical at the school, which was Anything Goes. Mm. And um, my teacher, you know, she gave me the actual drum book for Anything Goes. And I was probably 12 at the time. Um, I had been taking lessons for like a year, maybe. Um, so I brought that book to my teacher and also to my uncle who plays for shows. So he was able to help me out and give me some pointers. I remember running the show at his house, which was super helpful. And I knew how to read music at the time, just from taking piano lessons and from playing in the school band. Like, you know, I played percussion in in the school band and we also had a jazz band after school that I was in. Um, so I was, I knew how to read music and it was a, you know, pretty big endeavor to take on a whole musical (laughs) as a kid but um we my teacher trusted me and and i was able to do it and it was a blast did you play in any kind of uh backstreet boy cover bands in high school (laughs) (laughs) wow that would be amazing but no i didn't (laughs) but you know maybe maybe now i'll start with a backstreet boys cover band (laughs) Uh, like you like you it could be in the band you know the band of the backstreet boys cover band i don't know i don't know but that, that would be amazing <laughs> would you would you ever have wanted to play for the backstreet boys like if you had a choice between six and doing a backstreet boys in <laughs> uh residency in las vegas what would you, what oh, would wow. you rather do wow that's that's deep um I don't know. I, I'm really having a good time playing six, so I think I think maybe I'll stay there. It would be cool to like meet them, maybe. But no, no I have I have um, lots of artists that I'd love to play with one day. But yeah, you know what? We're gonna add Backstreet Boys back on that list because that would just be a full circle moment. <laughs> exactly. You know, d- doing shows, you will see that obviously people will come. That you like when I was doing. Really, it happened with Ain't Too Proud when I, we were in Los Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There would be all kind of, you know, stars, very famous people that would come and be like, "Oh my God, that's Smokey Robinson, that's Jennifer Hudson, that's this person, that's that person." Because it was L.A. And then when in New York, there were a lot more people that came backstage, and I, you know, I walked up. They were like, "LL Cool J is backstage." I'm like, oh. "Oh my God, LL Cool J!" And you get to meet your heroes. Yeah, that's so, so one cool. Day, one day, One day, maybe. I, I can't remember who was in the Backstreet Boys again. I know. Isn't that sad? I can't even remember either. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. Um, <laughs> wow. Two of them. Nick. Nick Carter. He was oh, like, yes. the, like the lead guy with the blonde hair. 
Yes, and then, um, that's right. The other guy, Brian. I can't remember his last name. That's really sad. I am not a true. I sound like a oh, horrible yeah. Backstreet Boys <laughs> fan. <laughs> you are not part of the fan club. I see. No, yeah, not anymore. That was that was many years ago. <laughs> High school. Were you playing in any bands, or were you just doing musicals, or what were you uh, doing musically? Um, yeah, a little bit of both. So, so yeah, in, in middle school, I was taking the lessons, and then I, I got to play for the, the two musicals that we did, like in seventh grade, and then again in eighth grade. We did Anything Goes first, and then Bye Bye Birdie the following year. And mm. it wasn't a full pit, by the way. It was like me on drums, and then our our choir director on piano. Like she was music directing it, and you know, so it was just a cute little drum and piano thing. Actually, I think for Bye Bye Birdie, our orchestra teacher played bass. So, you know, small little pit, but that was like such an amazing experience. Like we played through the real show, um, and then in high school. Um, I played in my school band, I played in the school jazz band, I sang in choir, and I also took, I continued to take private drum lessons outside of school, um, but in high school I actually went to a, a new, like a, a natural music school, like after school. It was called Lagand Music, and they're based in Elmsford, New York. Um, it's led by Charlie Lagand and his wife, Roseanne, um, and Charlie is a an amazing saxophone player. Um, and so he opened up this school many years ago. So I went there for drum lessons and I also got to play in some bands while I was there. Um, we, we did, um, I don't know, all different kinds of bands, but I was in like a jazz Latin funk band as like a 15 year old. And then, um, you know, got a little bit more into it and they helped me with my college prep stuff and you know they had like a whole college prep program that i went to one summer where we learned a lot about ear training and sight reading and a little bit of harmony and got to play in more ensembles so that was like a huge part of my uh childhood music education and they really helped me get into college i ended up going to berkeley in boston so again boston is such a special city to me um but yeah, I got I got some really good experiences in high school through through Lagonde Music School. We were able to play some gigs. They actually took some of their student bands to New York City to play at actual venues like the Bitter End and the Cutting Room. Um, so that was a really amazing experience. I got to play at the Bitter End when I was maybe sixteen in the student band, you know. But they had like a student showcase on like a Sunday afternoon, and it was super fun. You said you sang in the choir. Do you still sing? Not much, no. But I'd, I'd like to get back into it because I think it would be a really helpful skill to have as a drummer to be able to sing backgrounds and stuff. But I'm always a little bit too too self-conscious. <laughs> oh, really? Now, the thing you, you mentioned in the very beginning about, is it your grandmother who played piano? Mm -hmm. Did you ever get a chance to play with her? A little bit, yeah. When I got good enough, she taught me how to play. Um, well, I've, obviously, every kid learns chopsticks <laughs> at some point. So we played, you know, a little duet together. Um, we played Heart and Soul, like, you know, all the cute little songs that like everybody learns for the first time. But it was really special to be able to play that with my grandma. We don't play together anymore. She, um, she still plays a little bit of piano, but she has a hard time hearing now that she's getting older, so she doesn't play as much anymore, but I always try to get her to play a little something whenever I come to visit, because I know that it, it's so important to her and it makes her really happy, so, yeah. Interesting thing that uh, I like to point out as far as people that are listening or watching, when you 
form a, a new musical when you're when you're in rehearsals generally it's just you as the drummer and the pianist music director mm-hmm. now you were doing that in high school with those two musicals correct mm-hmm. you just you just kind of fell into it and that's kind of somewhat of a basis for your career now you didn't even really kind of know it yeah what were some of the your drumming uh influences back then um let's see back in high school i loved listening to john mayer who i still love like john mayer is he's one of those people that i'd be like wow i'd drop everything to go on tour with john mayer that would be amazing so i was really into him um for a while and steve jordan um who played drums with him on continuum which is my favorite or at least one of my favorite albums of all time um so i was like really into that in high school uh who else did you hear their i'm sure you did that live album with uh pino paladino yeah oh yeah the Um, the john mayer trio the the try album yeah that was another one i was really into that in high school that first song i think it's the first song on the on the record uh can't remember what, what song it is but Steve Jordan just comes in with this crazy <laughs> fill and it's just the, the groove is just there. And he just stays there yeah. throughout the whole thing. Yeah. He was like one of my biggest influences, especially back in high school, like when I was taking lessons and playing in those like student bands, like my teachers introduced me to his music and I just thought it was so cool. I was just really drawn to his style, like just groove the whole time and you know i just i loved it so i would play along to a lot of songs that he was on with john mayer because i I loved john mayer so yeah that was yeah he was a big part of my early drumming education and who steve jordan john mayer yeah i also um i really loved jamiroquai when i was in high school i played along to a lot of their stuff um and then also just some of the more like like rock things like in high school I really liked Paramore. Oh yeah. Um, so I played along to some of their songs. Um, Maroon Five. I was really into Maroon Five as a kid. Played along to their whole you know first album songs about Jane. I was like loving that. Um, but yeah, I think I, I had a pretty wide spectrum of of styles that I liked. You know, because I was also really into jazz. Like I was studying jazz a little bit at, at Lagonde, you know, getting ready to, to prepare for school. So they introduced me to some jazz stuff like, you know, early Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And that's when I got into Max Roach and Philly Joe Jones. And they had me transcribing, you know, some of their solos and, you know, like, okay, listen to the song and this, this trading for passage, you know, transcribe this whole thing, you know, and like, that was super fun. So I was really into just a little bit of everything. What made you decide to go to Berkeley? Um, I really wanted to go to Berkeley because they didn't just do jazz. Like a lot of the schools that I was looking into at the time. So I guess Manhattan School of Music, SUNY Purchase, the new school. Um, a lot of them were just strictly like jazz focused. And like I said, I just really liked playing everything. I liked playing for shows. I liked playing rock. I liked playing pop and funk. And I loved jazz too, but I didn't want to like just focus on that. So I felt like Berkeley would at the time would be a really good choice for me to have more of a like contemporary music education. And, and I also really liked the idea of 
getting out of New York for a little bit and experiencing a new city that wasn't too far from home because Boston is only about, you know, three or four hours away. So um, everything about it was just so perfect for me at the time. And I really wanted to go there. Um, so luckily, I, you know, I did the audition and they helped me a lot. At, you know, all my teachers at school helped me a lot to, to prepare for it. But I ended up getting in and it was the most exciting day ever when I got that email that I got in. <laughs> and where Denard was one of your teachers there? Um, I actually never got to study with him, but he was there while I was there. He was in some of my um, like jury performances, uh, you know, and in my later years at Berkeley, I definitely had to perform in front of him a couple of times, which was very nerve wracking. So for people that don't know, like myself, <laughs> when you apply to Berkeley and you want to study music and you're a drummer, what options do you have? as far as academics and a, a degree? Is it like jazz performance, uh, jazz studies, you know, rock studies? Like what, what exactly do you study? And yeah. what is the, the, the like academic goal? It might have changed recently. I'm not too sure on like the current, current things that they're doing, but at least when I was there, you could, as a drummer, you could either major in performance or, you know, Berkeley had about, I think it was 12 other majors, like uh, music therapy, music education, music business, electronic production and design, um, recording and engineering, like any of those things. Like, so you could still be a drummer, like that could be your principal instrument, but you could choose to major in any of those other things. Um, I specifically just wanted to do performance because I wanted to play as much as possible and i felt that that was the only major where i would have enough time to really shed and like be in the practice room for like you know many hours a day and a lot of my other friends who were doing other majors i just felt like you know after the first year at berkeley they kind of stepped away from their instrument and got deeper into their specific major whether it was writing or recording or teaching and i just didn't want to lose that i just i didn't want to lose the drumming so that's why i went with performance um and it's not specifically focused in jazz or contemporary music or rock music or latin it's just kind of an overall like you, you can kind of choose what you want to do depending on who you decide to study with um, and which ensembles you decide to to play in. So if I wanted to make it all about jazz, I could have studied with only jazz teachers and played in only jazz ensembles. But instead I chose to go with different teachers. I had some jazz teachers, some that were more interested or more focused on like fusion, funk stuff. Um, and I got to play in all different types of ensembles at Berkeley. I did some jazz ensembles, but I did, uh, I don't know, all kinds of crazy things. There was like a jazz Latin funk ensemble and um, a Bob Marley ensemble. And uh, uh, what was wow, the other one? Really? Oh, the craziest one I was in was the microtonal music ensemble <laughs> with a, a guitar player named Dave uh, Fusinski. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was. I'm screaming hell his torso. Yeah. Man. Yeah, he was awesome. And that was a crazy ensemble. And we had it at nine in the morning, like on Fridays. And it was just like way too much. <laughs> what was it called again? The microtonal music ensemble. So all the guitar <laughs> players, like they all played fretless instruments. So fretless guitars, fretless bass. Um, 
it was crazy. We played a lot of of Dave's like original music, and he just kind of taught us about microtonal music. I mean, again, as a drummer, like I'm not dealing with you know all of the notes that everybody else is dealing with, but he got me to experiment in some really cool ways, like you know, like dampen the drums and use different sticks and play on different surfaces besides just the drum head like oh let's see what the rims sound like let's see what the shells sound like let's see what other weird percussion instruments you could bring in so that was that was really interesting was there anything there that taught you the ins and outs of broadway Yes, absolutely. Um, so I got to play in the Berkeley Musical Theater Orchestra, um, and we were the orchestra that that played for all of the musicals that the school put up. So um, from my freshman year, I really wanted to be in it, but they already had a drummer um, that was older than me, so I had to wait till that person graduated. And actually, it's a small world. That person was Giancarlo Detruzio, who you might have crossed paths with. He's a drummer from Italy. Um, and he he subs all around town in New York. And it's just funny. He was the guy that was in the Berkeley Musical Theater Orchestra before me. And um, once he graduated, another guy named Aaron Drescher, who was also in New York playing, he got to do it. And then once he left, I finally got to audition and be in the Musical Theater Orchestra. <laughs> so I got to play for a couple of shows. We did Legally Blonde at Berkeley, and that was super fun. Um, we did Godspell and Footloose. <laughs> ah, so really? wow. yeah those were all super fun and that was like my first that was like the most professional experience i had had up to that point in my life but you know it was a it was a full orchestra we were putting on the, a real show with our with a music director conductor uh, for, i think for all of the shows actually except godspell but the other two shows we actually had like a stick conductor and you know had to follow them and we didn't have a pit in our theater, but we played on stage. They kind of like covered us like in the back. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was such an amazing experience. I got to do that at school and I got to um, work on some of that with my teachers. And, you know, it, th that was like the best prep I could have had for a career as a Broadway drummer, because it's it's just everything you do in, in New York, in real life. You know, you listen to the show, you learn the show, you transcribe the fills or you know the grooves that you hear on the recording that aren't exactly written you know like that because it's always slightly different you know so like it was just the the best experience if you like what you hear on the show subscribe to the broadway drumming 101 newsletter at broadwaydrumming101.substack.com that's Substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. The Broadway Drumming 101 newsletter is your one-stop shop for everything you'll need to know about playing drums for Broadway musicals. When you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll learn about what it takes to be a successful pit musician with content delivered directly to your email inbox two to three times a week. For $5 a month or $50 a year, you'll have a backstage pass to the world of a Broadway drummer playing on a hit show. As a paying subscriber, you'll receive behind-the-scenes access to the life of a musician who makes a living on Broadway. You'll also be able to read every post, not just those occasional free ones. You'll get access to all newsletter issues in the archives and have an ability to participate in subscriber-only comments and events. If you become a founding member for a gift of only $75, 
you'll receive discounted private drum lessons and a 25% discount on future promotional products. If you'd like to make a direct contribution to the production of this show, you can reach us at Venmo at Clayton-Craddock, Cash App at Syncopated, that's C-I-N-C-O-P-A-T-E-D, or PayPal at Clayton Craddock. Any amount of support will be appreciated. Thank you for listening. So you graduating high school, you went to Berkeley. When you got to Berkeley, was it intimidating? Oh yeah, very. In what ways? Um, well, first of all, there were so many amazing musicians there. Like suddenly, you know, I went from being one of the only drummers in my high school to being one of a hundred and something drummers. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, you're not that special anymore. Like everyone is doing this. Um, also not to mention, I was usually always the only girl, um, especially playing drums. Um, you know, I wasn't the only girl playing drums at Berkeley, but you know, I don't know what the percentages are, but, yeah, every time I went to a jam session or went to, or even just being in my ensembles, I was very used to just being the only girl with a bunch of guys, which was totally fine. But at the same time, like as an 18 year old, when you get to school and you're like in this new scene in a new city, trying to make friends. And it's like, I go to this jazz jam session in the basement of one of the dorms, you know, and it's like me and a bunch of guys. <laughs> And that that was intimidating at first because I feel like a lot of people just didn't want to take me seriously. They're, you know, like I'd want to go go in and play. It's, you know, it's a jam session. It's finally my turn. And I just like, I, I don't think people ever, like they didn't say anything mean to me or at least to my face, but I just like had a sense of like, oh, okay, Elena's up. Let's like play a blues, something real quick and easy. You know, like, you know, it just felt like that kind of vibe rather than like them trusting that I can actually hang and play. And I was like, no, I, I can do this. Like I'm here. Like I got into Berkeley. I, I know I can do this. I know I can hang with you guys. So eventually I, I, I felt like I had to prove myself. So maybe that's what pushed me to work harder you know i felt like i really had to, to practice a lot and study as hard as i can because i just wanted to be taken seriously and eventually i i did i feel like eventually i earned everybody's respect and i got into the ensembles that i wanted to play in and i went to the jam sessions and i did a good job with my teachers and you know i felt like eventually i i did prove myself but it was scary first you know getting there as an 18 year old like oh here's what do I do? You know, <laughs> I hope they actually listen. When you graduated, did you want to stay in the area? Did you want to go to New York, LA, Nashville, Seattle, um, Paris? Paris. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ultimately wanted to go back to New York because I, I just really wanted to play on Broadway, but I also wanted to travel. I wanted like I didn't want to go to New York immediately. I, I knew that I wanted to like go on tour with a band or go on tour with somebody and see the world and like do all of those fun things. So um, immediately after I graduated, I went on tour with this folk band called the Novel Ideas. Um, they were based in Boston. They didn't go to Berkeley, but I just knew them from being in the area and they were auditioning drummers for their summer tour. They also, uh, 
planned to record a full-length album in LA with the specific producer that they wanted to work with so I thought that would be a really cool opportunity like oh I'll get to go on tour and record an actual album that's like not with students at school like you know a real album (laughs) and um, so I got into the band and it wasn't anything like it wasn't a big deal like they they had a manager and that was about it but we you know we did everything on our own we we had a little van that we drove across the country in you know it was a very we barely made any money I think I made like ten dollars a day like as a per diem basically that's and they were like okay you need to survive on this and that was tough because I had just graduated I didn't have any money and I was going on tour across the country with this band making like ten dollars a day and it was it was rough Seventy dollars a week, baby. You're rich. Yeah, you know. Not to mention, I still had to eat. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. But uh, you know, wow. I, I'm I'm joking about like I mean, it, it was fun. It was it was rough. Like we were we were not making money, but that wasn't for me. Like I guess the goal at the time. Like I just needed the experience, as any fresh grad does. You know. So, um, I got to play music with this band, and we got to tour all over the U.S. And you know, we played at like small venues. And um, we ended up opening for this country singer named Rich O'Toole. Um, I don't know his level of fame now. Like, I honestly haven't listened to him since we were I was in that band. But it was an amazing experience. We got to open for this guy and, like, go everywhere. And then we ended up raising a bunch of money on Kickstarter so we could record this album with this producer that they wanted to work with. Um, his name is Rick Parker. Um, he works with a band called Lord Huron, who we were all big fans of so we got to go to LA and we recorded this album we were in the studio for like two weeks and that was such an amazing experience and that was my first time seeing LA and um seeing the whole country and yes like you know we weren't really making money but it was so fun at the time like just living out of our van and sleeping on hotel floors because you know we were only we only had enough money to get one room for five people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we couldn't, you know, we couldn't even split it up. So it's like we had two people per bed and then one on the cot, you know, like it was intense, but it was a great experience overall. During that time, what were your favorite cities um, or towns? At the time, I really loved Austin. It was my first time traveling through Austin, Texas. And I just thought that was so much fun with like, you know, all the food trucks and all the live music, like that was just amazing. I really loved it there. And I also loved LA, um, you know, seeing the Hollywood sign and recording in our studio and also lots of really good food in LA too. I'm a big foodie person. So whenever I'm on tour, I'm just like always thinking about restaurants that I can try. Um, I also really love Chicago. Again, for the food, I had to I had to try deep dish pizza. And, you know, I got to do that for the first time when I toured with the band in Chicago. And that was a blast. I was going to ask you if you like if you like New York pizza as opposed to Chicago pizza better. Yes, 100 percent. Really? I'm a a true New Yorker. (laughs) Although, no, I appreciate deep dish like I appreciate it and I enjoy it. But I just feel like it's not pizza. It's like lasagna. Kind of. Ah. It's like. <laughs> Do you have a favorite slice in New York? Ooh, I don't know if I have a favorite slice, but I have a favorite 
like pizza place in my neighborhood actually it's called Tofino it's like a Neapolitan style pizza place and it's mm. amazing it's my favorite like that's my favorite type of pizza just like you know individual Neo- Neapolitan like wood fired pizzas it's the best I could eat that every day do you have a favorite food I know uh, this is not part of drumming but I'm just curious yeah no honestly like the second part of my identity is food <laughs> like people know me as like <laughs> Elena the drummer and Elena the foodie, mostly with Italian foods. Like everyone knows me as the person that like either always eats pasta or always brings pasta or cooks for people. And, you know, Um, so, yeah, I would say lasagna. Definitely one of my favorite foods. It's just just so So, hearty, you know, so good. Well, well, (laughs) you know, every time I speak to a, a a musician or a person in general, I, the more I find out, the more interesting they are. (laughs) And I go off on tangents. So I, you know, in the future, the last person I spoke to, we had like a a thing where I said, well, tangent alert. (laughs) I'm just going to put it up there. Tangent alert. (laughs) Pizza. Yeah. We're going to go off, (laughs) going to go off on a tangent here. Yeah. So tell me what, what got you into becoming a foodie and, and, and cooking and, and just learning about different foods. What was the thing that hmm. piqued your interest? I don't know, like specifically what got me into it, but I don't know. I've just, I've always loved food. Like I've always loved trying new things. I was never a picky eater. Even as a kid, my parents were giving me like linguine and clam sauce. And I was like, yes, love it. Give me more. You know, I, I ate coffee ice cream as a six year old, like, cause I loved the flavor of coffee. And my parents let me have it, (laughs) but, um, I don't know. I've just always loved it. And, um, in high school, I got to go to Italy for the first time. We did like a a class trip there when I was about 16. And that, I think that changed my life. I just loved everything about Italy, the food, the culture, the coffee, all the things that you can see, all the history, like it was amazing. And it was just so inspiring to me. And I just, loved everything about it. So I think when I came back home, I was like, Oh, I'm so interested in learning more about food and about the Italian culture. Cause it was just so inspiring to me. And my family is Italian. Um, both my parents, like both sides are Italian, like my great grandparents and beyond were all from Italy. And, mm. um, so I'm like, what third generation American. Um, but the it- okay. the Italian culture is still very present in my family, and like I grew up eating lots of pasta on Sundays, you know, at my grandma's house and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, food has just always been a big part of my life, and so even now, I just, you know, as as an opening night present, my girlfriend bought me um, a pasta machine from Italy. And I was like, that's the coolest gift ever. And during the pandemic, we ended up making some pasta together because that was like for the opening night that never actually happened in March 2020. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, we got to make pasta together. And I don't know, during the pandemic, like we just cooked so much food and it kept me kept me alive. So if somebody gives you a bottle of ragu, you look at it and then you just throw it on. Exactly. No, what is this? So Italy, going back to the food thing, we're going to get back to drumming in a minute. I'm sorry for the tangent break. Tangents are important. (laughs) Uh, My daughter went to Italy for her 16th birthday with her mom. Now, I don't know what happened with them. 
I don't know why she didn't come back like most people do. Like they went to church in Italy and they're they're sold, but she didn't come back and say she didn't have the same feeling that I had when I went to Paris with my girlfriend mm. in 2018. They were like, you know, when you go to Paris, you're going to be blown away by the food. And it's so true. And I hear the same thing about Italy. Yeah. It's like the, the food in Italy is just everywhere you go. It's just it's just fantastic. Um, it's just so much different there than than it is here. Like everything just feels like it's better, <laughs> like just better quality, which it probably is. It doesn't just feel like that. Like it is actually better mm. quality, <laughs> like just everything that they're growing and like just all the produce and the olives that they use to make the olive oil and like just just everything like and even probably the way they treat animals and like where the meat comes from. Like, I don't know. I just I don't know that for a fact, but I just imagine that. There's a much better quality control there in Europe than there is here. You have family still over there? I do, but I've never met them because they're like distant cousins. But we do have family in Rome, I believe. Now, where, when you went to Italy, where'd you go? Was it Rome or? Yeah, the first time. Um, yeah, in high school, we went to Rome, Pompeii and Florence. It was amazing. Yeah, I'd love to go back. <laughs> Tangent break is over. <laughs> no more food talk. <laughs> Even though we might go off on another one. Uh, graduated from Berkeley. Mm-hmm. You did the tour with, um, what's the name of the oh, band? The, uh, the Novel Ideas. The Novel Ideas, mm-hmm. yes. You came back after making $10 a day. Yeah. You put all that money away into a 401k. Exactly. <laughs> Now you just, you know, retired now. No, anyway, so you got back and you were in the Boston area. Um, what happened after I left the band? Oh, well, so basically I decided to leave the band. Like they were going to continue. They were going to do some more touring and, and, and stuff. And I was just, again, I was like, I, I love it. It was an amazing experience. I don't know if this is for me. Cause I had been with them for maybe about eight months at that point. And um, it was an amazing experience, but it was for me, it wasn't super sustainable because we weren't really making money. Um, I was fresh out of school. I felt like I should probably get a job or, or do something like I don't know if I could do this forever. It just like wasn't sustainable. And like a lot of them also had day jobs. They were a little bit older than me. Um, so some of them were able to work their day jobs from the road. Um or, you know, they were actually based in Boston and they were like doing other things. And I was kind of just like, oh, I don't really have a place. Like I didn't have my own place. I was like technically still living in my parents' house, but not really because I was like living in their van on the road, you know? So I just felt like it just didn't feel um, grounded and it just felt very unstable. So I decided to leave. Um, but so after I left the band, I reached out to some of the cruise ship companies that I, uh, I had auditioned for back in school. Um, and it turned out there was an opening for a drummer on one of the Holland America cruise ships. And then I thought that would be a really great way to see more of the world, to make a little bit more money and to get just more experience. So ultimately I left the band to do a cruise contract and that was about two months. And my first contract was in, where was it? Oh, it was in the, um, well, we started in Florida, and then we went to the Bahamas, and then Panama Canal. Um, we went like in a big circle every week. Um, some of the islands in between, 
And then after that, we ended up going across the ocean to Spain. Wow. Yeah, that took a whole week, I believe. Yeah, it took a whole week to get from, I guess, Florida up to Spain. Um, and then we went around Spain, and then we finished in Italy, and that was the end of my contract. Yeah, I keep going back to Italy. I guess that place is very special to me. But um, that was an incredible experience, like working on the cruise ship. I got to see the world, you know, not just the country. And so I loved that so much. And so I ended up doing a couple more contracts with Holland America cruise lines over the next three years. That was amazing. What were you doing musically on those uh, cruise lines? So I was in the, uh, I guess the house band. So we were responsible for doing many different things on the ship, like playing lounge sets, like, you know, like a happy hour light jazz set um we did some ballroom dancing because holland america is mostly an older crowd and they really appreciate um i don't know ballroom dancing so we had to learn i again i had to learn like so many different styles like let's learn a bolero and a cha-cha and salsa and a foxtrot and like a waltz and all these words that i had never really heard before um so again had to get like deep into those styles to fulfill the ballroom dance crowd um but we also had to play in the main theater on the ship which holds about 800 people um we played for the the shows on the ship they weren't full-on broadway musicals they were mostly just like 35 minute like musical review type shows um but that's the first time that i had to use headphones and play with a click track and do that whole thing which was an amazing experience i didn't get to do that in college so that was my first time like reading charts and playing to a click and putting on a show um and we also had to play with different guest entertainers Um, These were people that would just fly onto the ship for like a day or two and do their show and then they'd leave. And that was also an amazing experience because we were sight reading like they'd come with their charts for their show and we'd have a, a two hour rehearsal at some point in the afternoon. We'd have to like read their stuff and then, you know, have a dinner break and then play two shows at eight and ten. And that's like, again, such a nice, like real life New York experience. It like totally just set me up for a career in New York because all of those skills were things that I didn't necessarily do in school, but um, they were so helpful and, and just it was such a great experience. After the cruise ship experience, did you move to New York? Yeah. So in between contracts, I would, you know, go back to my parents' house and I was like based in New York. Um, and during that time in between contracts, I was meeting different drummers, um, and I got to sub on my very first off-Broadway show, which was Cagney at the time. Um, it was playing first at the York Theater and then again at the West Side Theater. And, um, I got that opportunity because of Larry Lelly, who I'm sure you've crossed paths with. But Larry has been one of my biggest Broadway mentors, like since I was in college. We actually met when I was at Berkeley um, through a mutual friend. And, uh, you know, we emailed, I got to shadow him. He was playing for, what was it? The producers at that time. Um, Oh, and then again, in, in How to Succeed in Business, he was playing for that. So I got to shadow him like during one of my college breaks, you know, like 
winter break. Like, okay, I'm in New York for like two weeks. Um, so Larry and I were just in touch for a couple of years and he was such an amazing mentor and, and teacher to me. And, um, basically he, he just gave me the opportunity to sub for him, um, at Cagney. Cause he said, this would be a really good first show. It's not like super high stakes because it's off Broadway. Um, it's a smaller theater. It's a smaller band. Everything about it was like, this could be a really good, like first show to throw you in on. So luckily he gave me that chance. He trusted me. And, um, I was so nervous cause that was my first professional show. Um, but I did it and it, it went well. And they said, I can come back. And I ended up subbing for him at that show for two years on and off. So how, what did you do to prepare for that? So, you know, just like what you, what everyone does when they shadow a show. Like I, I went to shadow him many times, probably at least like four or five times, especially cause it was my first show. And I wanted to make sure I was playing it exactly like him. Um, I recorded him. I, you know, the show was, they didn't have like avioms or anything. It was all just like acoustic. So I brought my like Tascam recorder and like put it down and recorded the show. Um, you know, he gave me a copy of the book. I listened to that recording and studied it for, I don't remember the timeline. It must've been at least a month, probably three weeks or a month. Um, and I just practiced and I transcribed all his drum fills, all of his little things that he did, like little accents and little um, just tasteful things that weren't necessarily in the music, but things that he just did because I wanted it to sound exactly like him. And I, I knew the show in and out. I wanted to make sure that I knew every single thing and that I wasn't like unclear about any section. So once I got to that point, I knew that, you know, I'd be ready to sub. And um, yeah, I got to play the first show. And it was awesome. I, again, it was like so nervous. I couldn't believe that it was the, like my first professional gig. And um, I probably messed up some things here and there, but ultimately it went well enough for them to invite me back. And it was amazing. It was just so much fun. You know, I talked to a couple of people and as you know, it's incredibly stressful subbing a, a show, whether it's Broadway or off-Broadway. Yeah. A friend of mine said it's like a two and a half hour heart attack. Oh, yeah. That's, I relate <laughs> to that. <laughs> you know, another friend said that it's the most stressful thing he's ever done in his entire life. Now, for me, it was my second most stressful thing. I don't want to bring it up again, but, but family court was pretty was way up there. Yeah. But subbing on a show because you are pretty much the engine of the show. Mm-hmm. And so much is reliant on what you do. And if you screw up, <laughs> it could cause a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of weight on your shoulders. But you successfully sh- subbed at that show. Mm-hmm. And did word get around? And was that, um, were you able to parlay that into other opportunities? Yeah, yeah. So the good thing about Cagney was that I got to meet so many different people in that band. You know, I met the, the music director and the, the reeds player and the bass player and then all of their subs because I was there pretty often. So I got to meet a lot of new people. And um, maybe, I, you know, I don't remember the exact chain of events, but it's possible that like someone recommended me to this other person for a reading for something or someone uh, worked with me on Cagney. And then a few months later, they ended up on another project that I was also in like, you know, so everyone just like word gets out eventually, whether it's with 
the other people in the band or the music director or or even or Larry or Larry's other subs, you know, whoever. And ultimately, like if you keep doing a good job, then word gets out and then people want to hire you for other things. So basically just I kept meeting new I kept meeting more drummers. You know, I just wanted to meet as many people as possible because I knew I wanted to keep doing this. I, I loved playing for shows. I loved subbing. I wanted to have my own chair eventually, but I just, you know, I just loved that scene. So I met new people and shadowed them and met people for coffee and asked them all the questions, you know, and then it it took a long time. Like, it's not like things happened overnight. It's not like I subbed for Cagney and now I have my own chair for six. You know, that was like 2015 and now it's 2021. So basically in between when I first subbed for Cagney and, and now it was just meeting people and playing for workshops and taking every gig and playing cabaret shows and meeting different artists and different music directors and trying to do a good job on all of those things because you never know who you're going to meet, right? Like you never know who's going to be on that gig, whether it's with you in the band or someone that's in the audience watching the gig, you just never know who you're going to cross paths with. So basically I just had all these different experiences like subbing and or for, for Cagney, but also I think I was playing for some regional shows at that time too. Like I played for um, a show at Yorktown stage. I played for a show at the um oh gosh where was it i played for footloose and les mis in this cute little theater like upstate in, in cornwall new york um each run was like two weeks long but you know i just kept trying to do all those things too because i remember back in college our, our teacher eric stern who um i think has kind of retired from the broadway scene but he's a teacher at berkeley now and he's he was a broadway music director for many many years he told us to just take every gig you possibly can. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about how big or how small it is or where it is. Just like get as many experiences under your belt as you possibly can because you never know who you're going to meet. So I tried to do that. I played for regional shows. I played for like a random show at the gallery players in Brooklyn for like two weeks. You know, I was trying to just take all the gigs that I could. And then eventually word spreads and you cross paths with these people again on other projects and um yeah you get more gigs eventually <laughs> um so basically in that path of me just wanting to sub for shows and, and meet people i got to meet uh rich mercurio who was the drummer for waitress we met for coffee this was in 2017 early 2017 um, a, again, a mutual friend introduced me to him and I just wanted to hang and just meet him because I was a huge fan of Waitress and of Sarah Bareilles too. So we um, got coffee and he wanted to know a little bit more about me. And he said, ultimately, they were looking for people for the Waitress tour. And is that something I might be interested in? Because at the time, I think they were looking to have an all-female band, um, which they didn't end up having, but it was a mostly female band, which was really cool. Um, so we got coffee and then he invited me to his studio so because he wanted to hear me play some songs from the show and i was so nervous i was just like oh my gosh i'm actually gonna play the songs from waitress for the actual drummer of waitress like this is so nerve-wracking you know i was like freaking out but i did my best to like listen to all the material and he didn't give me the music like he didn't give me the book i just had to figure it out 
Um, but yeah, I learned the songs. It was like, I, I think three or four songs from the show and I got a practice room and, you know, was shedding as much as I possibly could. And I went to his studio and he recorded me playing the songs and he ended up showing that to the music director and then ultimately Sarah Bareilles. Um, and then I didn't hear from them for like a long time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I blew it. They hate me. I did such a bad job. Cause this was in like February and I actually didn't hear, I didn't hear from him until about July, but then on the 4th of July, 2017, he texted me, Hey, what do you think about subbing for the show in two weeks on Broadway? <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, seriously? Like, no way. And like, that was the first time I had like my first Broadway subbing opportunity. Um, because he said they were interested in, in me for the tour and they wanted me to play it on Broadway to see if I'd potentially be a good fit. So it was kind of like my audition, like playing on Broadway was my audition for the tour, which is kind of crazy. Um, yeah, that was a wild experience. So interesting. Imagine if Steve Jordan said, you know what, John Mayer needs a drummer for his upcoming tour and and you have to play John Mayer stuff for Steve Jordan. Yeah, that's just <laughs> like, I can't even comprehend that. Like, that would be crazy. <laughs> He'd be standing over you like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it's it's uh, it's so interesting that you talked about playing the show on Broadway before you did the tour, because that's how Q Robinson got the Ain't Too Proud tour. Mm -hmm. And it happens a lot where, where the tour might go out, but they want to hear what you sound like doing the actual show on Broadway. Totally. So you had to learn the show in two weeks or you already knew this show already. So luckily just from being a fan of the show, I was already very familiar with the music. Um, I listened to the cast recording. I listened to Sarah Bareilles' recording, like, cause she did like an album of like songs from Waitress, like with her singing them. Um, so I was really familiar with the songs from the show. I just didn't know, like I, at that point didn't have the drum book. I didn't know like the intricacies of the show. So once I knew that I was going to be subbing for it, he sent me the music. He sent me the board recording. You know, I had a Dropbox to all the materials and, I pretty much just like didn't sleep for two weeks. Like that's how I remember it. I want, I wanted it to be as close to, you know, to his sound as possible. So again, I just like transcribed everything that I possibly could. All of his drum fills, all of his little intricacies, every, everything and practiced all the time. Like I had gigs, like I was gigging that week too. And like, you know, I was, I was busy, but I, I like after the gigs, I went to my rehearsal space and practiced waitress for like two hours. <laughs> it was just like one of those, you know, I feel like this always happens. Like everything, everything happens at the same time. Like you wait your whole life to play on Broadway. And it happens to be the same week that I'm playing for like a nymph show, like a, like a reading of a new show. And then also like a concert at green room 42, like everything happens at the same time. So I was like, how am I going to do this? But, um, yeah, I ended up learning the show and I practiced as much as I could. And I got to play. I remember it was a Wednesday, July 17th, because that date was just so special to me. Um, I'll remember it forever. And yeah, I got to play two shows that day. They, he put me in for the matinee and for the evening. Wow. And my parents got to see it. They were so excited. Oh, like cool. everyone was so excited. Like, oh my gosh, you're finally, 
making your Broadway debut. This is amazing. And it was just a blast. It was, it was so much fun. And I got to meet Sarah Bareilles like that day. Well, I got to meet her before that while I was shadowing the show. And I forgot to mention that, of course, I was shadowing the show like many, many times. And actually by this time, the summer came along, Rich wasn't playing because he was on a leave of absence. Like he was on tour with someone. At, Little Steven. Probably. Or potentially Idina Menzel, but I think it was Little Steven. Um, so Eric Halverson was taking over his leave. So Eric actually helped train me, um, you know, for the big day. <laughs> and he was so helpful and so amazing. And I got to shadow Eric a bunch. And um, yeah, I played the two shows that day. And I guess it went well. And they offered me the tour, which was amazing. When did the tour go out? The tour went out in September. So it was about like two months after that. So we, well, we started rehearsals in September. Okay. Um, and then we left late September. How long did it run? So the whole tour, the first national tour ran for almost two whole years. I stayed, wow. I was on it for the first 13 months. Um, I wanted to stay at least a full year to like, you know, put in the work and, and say that I did a, a Broadway tour and, um, it was so amazing. And again, just like such an incredible experience being able to travel all over the country and play music that I really love. Like I love Sarah Bareilles' music. I love the show. Um, but after about a year, I kind of felt like I, I kind of want to go back to New York and like be on the scene again. Like, I, I don't know if I want to be on the road with the same show for another full year. Like for me at the time, it just felt like I would get more out of coming back to New York and being on the scene here. Um, so that's what I did. I chose, I chose to leave. And, um, I think for me, it was the, the right decision because I was able to come back to New York and I ended up playing for an off-Broadway show, which was actually really cool. Cause I got to like originate the book for an off-Broadway show this time around, which I had never done before that. So that was a really great opportunity. And um, that was for a show called the hello girls. Um, we did that. That was at prospect theater company on 59 East 59th. Um, so I got to originate an off-Broadway show and we ended up recording a cast album and all of that, you know, just like, just such a great experience. I was so glad I got to do something else like in town, but playing on tour with waitress was such an amazing experience. I made so many great friends that I'm still in touch with to this day. And they're still some of my best friends. And it was amazing. So the Hello Girls, I looked up a little bit of that. That that was a story about women in World War One, World War Two. Yeah, it was about uh, the women who were telephone operators in World War One. Ah, yeah. Wow. So they were communicating and translating and plugging in, you know, the switchboards and you know, plugging in all the all the wires and stuff. And um, yeah, they were like the first women telephone operators in world war one so the musical is about them and uh their journey and it was really fun the music was completely different from waitress it was more of like a um more of a traditional broadway like old school type of sound but with some modern twists to it did that lead you to the next show off broadway show i guess a strange loop yeah so the hello girls it was a limited run it ran for about two months um we it did really well like it, it had really good um reviews and good responses 
Um, after that, we recorded the album in about February, I think, because the show closed in December. We recorded the album in February. I played for a workshop of a B-52s show like in January. At this, at this point, I was like just trying to get back into the scene like because I had been away for a year. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to do all these different things. And luckily, people were, were hiring me. So um, I did yeah, that workshop. And then as I was on that workshop, I got the call from the contractor at Playwrights Horizons, who was putting the band together for a new show called A Strange Loop which ended up happening from May through July of 2019. Um, yeah, which feels like last year, but also there's that, that yeah, whole no. pandemic <laughs> year in between, you know? Um, yeah, so basically in between the Hello Girls and Strange Loop, I was just freelancing, playing different like one-off gigs like 54 Below or Green Room 42 or doing like a two-week workshop of a show, like things like that. Um, oh, I was also subbing for Be More Chill on Broadway. Marcus Walls. Yep, for Marcus. Yep, he's amazing. So I was learning, I was learning his book while I was getting ready for Strange Loop. And, um, I got to sub there while I was on Strange Loop. So that was exciting. Um, but yeah, Strange Loop again was like very successful. It had really good reviews. We were sold out every night. It was such an amazing experience and it was a limited run. It was only going to run for the summer. They weren't trying to extend it. Um, but yeah, we got to record that cast album at some point during the summer. So that was super exciting. And I, I, one of my best friends was in the band with me. So that was really fun too. Like that we got to work together every night. Um, yeah, it was a really, really great time. So what is a taste of things to come? A taste of things to come. Oh, I f- totally forgot about that one. That was another show that I got to sub for. Um, kind of around when I was doing Cagney. Um, Barbara Merjan, she's this amazing drummer um, that I got to meet. Uh, how did I meet Barbara? I think she's from Ossining, which is very close to where I grew up. So again, a mutual friend kind of put us in touch like, oh, you guys should connect. And we connected over coffee, exchanged info, and um, hung out a little bit. And she ended up asking me to sub for her for that show. So that was like kind of around the same time as as Cagney. And another workshop I was doing at the time called Chick Six, which is now uh, it turned into a new show called Super You, the musical, which I've done a couple of workshops for, and they they're trying to bring that to Broadway. I don't know. I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's just a cool project that I've been involved with for the last couple of years. So everything was kind of like happening at the same time. This is all in 2019. Uh, so Taste of Things to Come was actually, I think, 2016. And the okay. early workshop of Chick Six was 2016. Um, Cagney ended up going through like the rest of 2016. And then early 17 was when we... Uh, was when I met Rich and got to start Waitress. And then the tour was 17 and 18. You know, Hello Girls was end of 18. Strange Loop was 19. I'm like thinking of it like a timeline of my calendar. Mm-hmm. Like, how did this all work? <laughs> right, yeah. right. And then 2019 is when things started rolling with your current show. Correct? Yes. Yep. So that pretty much happened right after a Strange Loop. Um, the contractor in Boston at the American Repertory Theater was looking to put together the band for the show. And um, they wanted an all-female band. 
um, because we were on stage and the show is an all-female cast too, which is pretty unique. Um, So that contractor reached out to some of her connections in New York and um, I was actually shadowing a show at the time and then that drummer recommended me to the contractor because I happened to be right there and and then he was like, oh yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, call Elena. So that was amazing and she ended up hiring me for the gig in in Boston and um, I left New York for the end of the summer and got to do six um, for about, what was it, six weeks or two months, something like that. This is so fun. And that's pretty much how I like started with this whole six journey. Cause luckily they, they kept me along for the ride. Um, you know, we did the, the next regional run of the show in St. Paul, Minnesota at the, um, Ordway theater. And then we came to Broadway. When did you start record, uh, rehearsals on Broadway? Uh, we started rehearsals for Broadway in January, 2020. And we started our first first previews, like dress rehe- like tech, you know, dress rehearsal, first previews in, around Valentine's Day. So like February 14th, 2020. And then we had up until March 12th, because that was supposed to be our opening night. We had about five weeks of previews and then um, we were going to open on the 12th. And then the pandemic struck. What did you do during our downtime? So the first two months, I was basically moving. I was busy moving into my new apartment, this current apartment. Um, My girlfriend and I signed a lease together for April 1st, 2020. And this was like, we signed it like a, maybe like a month in advance. So it was on like March 1st before everything started blowing up. Um, And then, of course, Broadway shuts down on the 12th. School shut down a few days later. Everything seems to be really bad. And we're like, oh, no, how are we going to move? How are we going to hire movers? How are we going to, like, do this while everything is shutting down? So we tried to ask our landlords if we could get into this place a little bit earlier. And luckily it was available. We still had to pay for the two weeks, you know, that, that were early. But we were able to get in. We got movers. It all worked out. And so for the first two months, honestly, I was like a little bit relieved to just take a break from the show because, you know, tech and rehearsals like that is a very intense schedule. Um, Everyone was really tired. So but at the time we thought we'd be off for like two weeks (laughs) because everyone was like, oh, we'll be back on April 1st or April 14th or whatever it was. So we're like, okay, it's a month. It's fine. We could use the rest. We'll get back to it in April. And then April turns to May and May turns to June 1st and June turns to September 1st and September turns to January, you know, and they just kept pushing it back for all of Broadway, as we all know. So a lot of the pandemic was just like a waiting game. Like, oh, my gosh, when are we coming back? Are we going to come back? Like, what's going to happen? Like, it's a new show. We didn't get to open. What if what if we don't even come back and we don't get the chance to do this? So there are just so many questions. But anyway, most of the pandemic, I ended up um, teaching. I, I did a lot of online lessons. I ended up building um, like building up our home studio with my girlfriend. because She's a sound engineer, so we were able – she already had a lot of gear. We ended up ordering some more gear so we can mic up the drums, soundproof the room. We built some panels and, like, made it all nice. And um, I ended up teaching a lot of online lessons and we ended up recording um, on a couple sessions from home. 
And so that kept us really busy just between the, the home recordings and the, and the teaching and, and a lot of cooking, of course, sourdough, <laughs> banana bread, pasta. So that was like, honestly, most of 2020, just like cooking, recording from home, watching a lot of TV <laughs> mm. and waiting to hear about Broadway. Do you watch a lot of cooking shows? Food oh, yeah. Our, our really? favorite show is um, uh, Top Chef with Padma mm. Lakshmi. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's a, a celebrity mm. chef and host of different cooking shows. And yeah, she's amazing. So we spent a lot of time watching Top Chef and and Chopped. We love Chopped on Food Network. Um, yeah, that's good. <laughs> what do you look for when hiring subs for your show? Um, so there are many things that I look for. First, I want to make sure that people are comfortable playing to a click track, which many people take for granted, right? Like a lot of people are familiar with practicing to a click, maybe or not practicing to a click, which I don't know any drummers that don't practice to a click, but anyway, um, but not everyone is familiar with like performing to a click. That's a different skill set that you don't really have a chance to prepare for until you just have to do it. So um, looking for people that are familiar with playing with a click, familiar with using in-ears because we all use in-ear monitors, not over the ear headphones because we're visible on stage. So that's a thing that people maybe aren't used to. Um, I'm looking for people that are comfortable playing pop, pop rock music, like groove based, like heavy two and four backbeat kind of stuff. Like this is not a jazz show. <laughs> this is not like a free improvisational, whatever. This is like straight up groove based pop music. Um, so I'm looking like, like for people that are familiar with that type of style. Like the Backstreet Boys. Like the Backstreet Boys. You know, it all goes back to the Backstreet Boys. Exactly. That prepared me for six. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Backstreet Boys, for my, my you're going to get a, uh, like a, a, an award one day. You're going to be on the Tony Awards. It's <laughs> so funny. I, I have to thank I the Backstreet thank Boys. The Backstreet Boys. <laughs> um, yeah. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Tangent, <laughs> tangent. tangent. Alert. No, but all, like, all of those things are just super important. And also, I'm looking for people that are um, experienced with electronics because I have a lot of electronics in the show. I, I use um, the Roland SPDSX drum pad with some additional triggers that are plugged into it. Um, and it's actually a fully electronic drum set that I'm using because the band is on stage. So they wanted like ultimate control of volume, but I'm using real symbols. So it's actually a cool hybrid setup. I'm using the Sabian FRX series symbols, which are, they're not low volume symbols, but they're just like frequency reducing. They have um, like a bunch of little holes all around the bell of the symbol. And they just help to cut out a lot of those like crazy high piercing tones and just make it more enjoyable for people that are like on stage. So it's not overwhelming. Um, so we found that between the FRX symbols and the electronic kit, they have like a great balance in the house. And it, we have a great balance on stage because um, the whole band is on in-ears as well as the cast, which is pretty unusual for a Broadway show. The cast usually isn't on in-ear monitors. They usually have like a floor monitors and, you know, 
so the, the speakers on the side of the stage so, so they can hear, but um, this is very different. So we just found that uh, having every instrument go direct, like, you know, there we don't have any amps on stage. Everything is just going direct and through people's ears, and that's the best way to control the volume. And we found that with the electronic kit and the Sabian cymbals, it actually sounds really good, and it's super fun to play. What's the kit that you're using? Um, I'm actually using a drum set by a company called Drum Tech. They're based in Germany. I had never heard of them uh, before I came onto the show, but they already had the kit picked out for me um, because the show had been running in London for a year or two um, on the West End. So we wanted to copy the setup that they had in the West End. So that's why when they brought it to the States, they ordered all the same stuff because they knew that it worked. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's cool. It was my first time playing a kit like that. I, but I do have to say, you know, every drummer is always like, oh, I don't know how I feel about electronic kits. Like, oh, I'd rather play a real one. We all know how that goes. But this kit actually feels and sounds so realistic. It's like the most realistic electronic kit that I've ever played. Sounds really good. So I'm lucky to to be playing on it. I'm, I'm not complaining at all. It's actually really great. <laughs> Do you trigger the click tracks? No, the music director triggers all the click stuff. So I'm only using my electronics for like single single shot sounds. I'm actually not triggering any loops or anything either. It's just just single shot sounds. I saw a clip of you uh, on Thanksgiving playing at the Macy's Day Parade. I was like, you know, that's when I was like, I got to reach out to Oh, her. cool. So, that's awesome. <laughs> I saw you play. I was like, man, she sounds great. Thanks for watching. Were you playing that kit there? Was it just a, a, a kit that they rented and they put? Yeah, that was actually just a rented kit um, because we were outside. Like no one knows what the weather is going to be that day. So, yeah, yeah. so they rented a silent kit, which is similar to the one I have in the show. Like I, I have mesh heads on it because it's electronic. So they basically had mesh heads on it and um, they called them video symbols, which I've never used before. They were they looked like real symbols, but if you hit them, they actually just sound like plastic. It sounded like just mm -hmm. nothing. And they felt really weird, too, because they're a lot heavier than normal symbols because we weren't actually playing live. Everything was pre recorded for the parade. Mm -hmm. So like we, we recorded right. the audio in a studio like months ago. Um, we recorded the stuff that we were going to play for the parade and the stuff that we were going to do for any other TV appearances like like The View and Good Morning America. We pre-recorded all that stuff. Um, and then they recorded the vocals. And then for the parade, we were basically just miming for the whole thing. So we had a click track. We had we had the track in our, again, we had to wear our in-ears. Um, and we were, I was like physically hitting the drums because nobody wants to see me air drumming. That would look a little ridiculous. <laughs> but um, I was miming along to what I had already recorded previously. Have you ever done something like that and forgot exactly what you played? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing about six is that like I, I recorded exactly what I play in the show every night. So like I had a pretty good idea of all the little things that I do. But but that has happened before, like at other like video shoot situations where I'm like playing along to somebody else's track or to my own track that I did months ago. And I'm like, what did I even play? So, yeah, that's that's definitely happened. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone that's interested in doing what we do for a living? 
They want to play drums on Broadway. Mm-hmm. What what advice would you give? Uh, the first thing I would say is to go uh, reach out to people whose careers you look up to. So for me, that was reaching out to other drummers that are playing on Broadway. Um, so go reach out to Broadway drummers or, you know, New York City gigging drummers and and talk to them and, you know, to see if see if they'd be willing to meet you for a cup of coffee or see if you can go shadow a show. You know, now in the COVID age, we have some more restrictions these days, so it might be hard to actually go shadow somebody's book because of all the testing requirements and stuff. But you never know who might be down to just meet you for a cup of coffee or have a quick 30 minute Zoom chat or, or something. You know, it just doesn't hurt to reach out to people. And, um, you know, and before you meet them, I would say do a little bit of research on that particular person so you have a little bit of context and, and things to ask about and things to talk about. So you're not just like, you know, tell me everything, you know, just like show them that you actually care about who they are and that, about what they do and then ask them about their experiences. And it's cool that, you know, everybody has a different story and a different path. And I, I feel like that's something that helped me grow as a musician, just from meeting all different types of people. And it's like one person's story helped me with this part of my life. And another person's story helps me with this part of my life. And you just never know what you're going to learn about people. So I think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice is just go meet people and learn from them. Um, another thing I would say is, especially as a, if you want to be a Broadway drummer, I would say get comfy on as many styles as possible. Um, because on Broadway, as you know, there are shows that have many different styles just in one show. (laughs) Um, and you never know what you're going to get asked to sub for, or you're going to get hired to play on. So if you went to school and only studied jazz, that's great. But if you want to play on Broadway, you're probably going to have to play a lot of other styles besides just jazz. So make sure you're familiar playing as many different things as possible. And I think you'll be more set up for success as a sub and as just as a player in general. You use Yamaha drums, Sabian, Vic Firth, and Remo. Yes. These companies, did they come to you or did you go to them? Um, I think for the most part, I went to them. Um, I met a lot of them at NAM. I went to NAM a couple of years ago um, in LA. And I got to meet some some of the A&R people from companies that I was super interested in. We exchanged cards, we exchanged info. And I think for a lot of them, I actually I had some mutual connections, which always helps. So some of my colleagues were able to introduce me to the A&R people from Yamaha, Vic Firth. And um, yeah, we got in touch and they offered me a deal, which is super exciting. What kind of things should a drummer never do? in a Broadway pit? Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Something a drummer should never do in a Broadway pit. Uh, I would say never assume anything. <laughs> no matter what show you're playing on, whether it's a tour, a Broadway show, whatever, don't assume anything. Always ask first. Um, so, for example, don't ever assume that you're just allowed to go to the kid and practice and play whenever you want. Don't assume that you can just bring people into the pit to hang and watch or bring them up to your dressing room or whatever. Uh, Don't also um, never as a sub, never change somebody's setup. (laughs) 
Never mess with somebody's setup. That is like the worst thing you could possibly do. Larry Lelly taught me that. Um, not that I messed up his setup, but he, he taught me that that is something that is super important. And as a sub, you are expected to just go in and make it work. If anything, maybe you can adjust the height of the seat, which Eric Halverson, when he was uh, at Waitress, he kindly let me adjust the seat slightly because he was a little bit taller than me. And I was like, if I sit this high, I really can't reach the pedals. <laughs> so he kindly let me lower the seat, which a lot of people will do. But, you know, don't go around and like change symbol heights, symbol angles. Make sure you put the sticks and mallets back exactly where you found them. If the drummer wants you to put them on the snare drum when you're done versus in the stick bag, versus on the stick table, whatever it is, make sure you know what they prefer and follow what they say. Leave everything exactly as you found it and just don't go messing with people's setups because that's not fun. (laughs) Has it happened to you? No, luckily all of my subs are amazing and they leave everything exactly as I left it. Um, I just remember there's one time where I was subbing for Cagney, for Larry, and... um, I think I left, there was like some little trap percussion in the show, like vibra slap and a slide whistle and like all that fun stuff. And I think I left the vibra slap like in a different part of the table. Like, I think it was still on the table, but it was like in a different section, something like that. And Larry called me and he was like, I'm not mad, but I just want to let you know. Make sure you leave everything exactly as you found it. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're right. (laughs) I might have put the vibra slap like in the wrong part. Like, I don't remember exactly what happened, but he told me about that. And I've never made that mistake again. (laughs) You know, you can tell when you come back and something is slightly different. Because, you know, you're doing your show eight times a week. And if the symbol is slightly changed, like you, 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 know, you just know. Totally. Yeah. You, I could, I'll, I can tell. <laughs> so just, yeah. yeah, don't mess with anyone's setup. Cause it's, it's not your setup. You're just there to, to sub and do a good job and like literally be that person for the night. So you don't need to change anything. But one time I had to sub, this was at Westchester Broadway theater in Elmsford. I was subbing for Saturday night fever and the drummer that was playing the show, he's a lefty. So he had a full lefty kit. So like literally everything was the complete opposite of what I'm used to. Um, And he knew that I wasn't a lefty and he knew that I like wouldn't be able to play comfortably on his kit. Cause I think he obviously deals with this with all of his subs. Like I don't know too many lefty drummers. So um, me neither, but he did say that it was okay for me to switch things around. And the sound team already knew that. So I got there early and they helped me just like switch (laughs) You know, mirror image of everything. Um, I kept the symbols where they were because, you know, the ride was on this side. The crashes were on both sides. So that was enough to, you know, deal with. But but like the floor time and the snare and the hi-hat, I mean, I had to switch them. And luckily, he gave me permission to do that. And the sound team was okay with it. So in that case, it's totally fine. But for the most part, if you don't have to switch things around, then like don't mess with anyone's setup. Did you run into many lefty drummers at Berkeley? No, not that I can remember. Maybe like one. I, I don't remember who they are. <laughs> have you 
met many drummers that play open-handed. I've met a few. Yeah, I've definitely met a few drummers that play open-handed. Um, but I would say most of the other drummers that I know and have worked with before are all right-handed. Or at least they play right-handed. Like for me, I'm actually a lefty. Like I write with my left hand and I eat with my left hand and do like small things with the left, but I play drums right-handed. I throw right-handed. I guess I'm like a little bit ambidextrous. Um, But yeah, I can't play drums lefty. It's weird. It feels very weird. (laughs) So do you cook ambidextrously? Ooh. Actually, I think I do. I could flip. I could do a good flip with my left hand or my right hand. <laughs> Just flip the pancake or flip the omelet. I'll have to try it with both hands and see which one is uh, better. <laughs> Are you working on anything outside of six right now, musically? Yeah. Or anything else? Yeah. So um, I'm always. I, I like to keep busy and you know, with whatever I can. So even though I'm playing for six, I'm still taking on other other gigs, like whether it's a set at 54 below or a recording session, you know, so people have still asked me if I'm available for these things. And I and I always say yes, because I, I love to be involved in as many different things as I can and, and also get some musical variety. You know, I'm sure you know, after playing eight shows a week, it's it's so fun and it's amazing. But also sometimes you're like, I kind of want to play other things, too, and make sure I can keep my chops up. So um, I just did a recording session at Pace University for for some friends um, earlier this week. Um, I also play in this group called the Broadway Symphonetta. Um, it's an all female majority women of color orchestra which is um so fun and i did a lot of recording projects with them during the pandemic but now that things are opening up again we've had the chance to play some live gigs um so we played a really cool gala a few weeks ago and i got to perform with jordan sparks and brandy and um yeah so like that was really fun so i'm just trying to keep busy with like all different types of gigs where can people find you on social media? So I am on Instagram and Facebook. I have not gotten to Twitter and I don't think I ever will. So I'm sorry for those of you that are on Twitter. Um, but I do have an Instagram. You can follow me at chickscandrum2 with the number two, which I probably made back in high school and just never changed because it is just my full identity. So chickscandrum2. <laughs> TikTok? Uh, I actually did open up a TikTok, but I haven't posted anything, so I don't know if that counts. Tumblr? <laughs> no, not Tumblr. I never got into Tumblr. Speaking of Tumblr, uh, tell me about uh, Safe Word, because we didn't go into that. Oh, one. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was um, that was my girlfriend's show. She, was, she did the sound design, or associate sound design for it, and um, it was an off-Broadway play, not a musical, and um, it was just about... Let's see. It was just about um, two different couples and what they liked to do. And it involved <laughs> safe word, safe word. And um, the funny part is the opening night party was in a sex club downtown, like not a strip club, like a sex club and i didn't even really? know what that was i was like there are sex clubs like that's a thing <laughs> um and so but they they closed like it they it, they reserved it for the opening night like it was 
like, so we just used it as a space for the opening night. Like we didn't experience the things that went down in there. Um, but, um, it was really funny. They had this moment in, in the show where they like blindfolded somebody and then gave them food. And so they, they used that as like a thing at the opening night party, like as an activity that you could partake in if you wanted to. So we all went into this room and we were like sitting on chairs next to each other. They tied our hands <laughs> around the back of the chair, blindfolded us and walked around with different pieces of food. And you had to identify what they were. <laughs> really? And it was just wow. really interesting, like having your like some of your senses just taken away from you, you know, like you're like fully not in control, like with your hands around your back and, and being blindfolded and they say things to you and it, it got interesting. Um, but yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so they, did they feed you Italian food? <laughs> Probably. I think they give us cheese. So like there wasn't it actually like there wasn't anything dirty about it at all it's just like the concept was like funny because the show was called safe word um mm -hmm. but but that particular experience and just the whole opening night it was just it was just fun like it was just in this this place um and yeah we got to eat different foods well our time has come to an end no more tangents no more, tangents. No more food talk <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it was great great learning about you and 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 i wish you much success in your broadway career and i hope you do many many more shows and hope six runs for at least six years thank you so much oh i hope so too i'd be <laughs> so happy with six years <laughs> that'd be great and we will hopefully see each other in person in on the broadway campus sooner than yes later. i hope so I'd, I'd love to meet up in real life that'd be great thanks again for joining me and uh i will talk to you soon. sounds good thank you so much clayton thanks for having me all right. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. Head over to the Broadway Drumming 101 YouTube page where you'll find unedited conversations that I've had with some of your favorite musicians. On the YouTube page, you're going to find bonus content that I don't feature on my Instagram page or here on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more.